0: In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Adrian Pringle, a musician and an accredited music therapist who's going to talk with us about the power of music and grief. Adrian, welcome to the Grief Stories podcast. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Maureen. It's an honor to be here with you. So. We are going to talk today
0: about music and the power of music in helping people explore and express emotions. And we're focused because it's the Grief Stories podcast, of course, on the idea of how music can help people in grief. And so I want to begin with asking you to tell us a little bit about your work um, as a music therapist and whatever, as a musician, whatever pieces feel important to you to share about your, your work and the things that you do with music and folks and emotion.
1: Absolutely. So I'll give you, I'll start with some context of where I've worked. So as a music therapist, I, the first 10 years of my career were as a member of the palliative care team at the credit Valley hospital. Uh, so then I moved on to carpenter hospice and certainly working in palliative care. Um, we talk about anticipatory grief and supporting family members. So that was a part of what I did using music. Mm-hmm. Um, However, at Carpenter Hospice, I really focused a lot more on supporting people who are grieving. So certainly working at bedside with residents and family members, and then the opportunity to continue to support family members after someone had died, either one-on-one using music and also in music therapy or grief support groups. And so what that looks like. Music therapy for people who are grieving is very much about learning about the person. So it's very unique. Our lived responses, the way that we use and interact with music is really, really personal. And it's really important to capture that. So it's really important to learn about what music means to someone in their
0: life. Right. So you really have to get attuned to them. We want to be noticing things that are important to them, what seems to resonate, what their preferences are. And as you have conversations with them, you're always sort of drawing information that helps you form that picture to help them with music.
1: Absolutely. So I want to find out how music has been a resource for them in their life. So before now, are you somebody who listens to music, who goes to concerts, who plays music, who sings? What does it mean for you? How do you use it? And then how can we perhaps connect with that now? Mm -hmm. Um, Or what was your connection with your loved one who has died? Maybe music was something that was incredibly meaningful between the two of you, you know, really taking the time to to figure that out you know is there a certain piece of music that connects you to a memory is there a way of continuing to feel connected to continuing um that feeling of spiritual support and, and mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm going to keep saying the word connected over and over here.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's it, you know, the idea of using music as a vehicle to connect first to yourself and your feelings also mm-hmm. to the sense of love and relationship with that person who's passed, um, to the, to the relationship itself, maybe if music was important in the relationship and, and sometimes, I can imagine, even if music isn't necessarily something that was for the griever, it may have been something really important to the person who died. And so then it becomes important to the griever.
1: So interesting you say that because I have actually had individuals come to um, grief support groups that are music focused or music therapy groups, not because they consider themselves musical in any way, but because it was so important to their loved one to the person who had died Mm -hmm. so many ways for
0: people to come to music as a healing vehicle as a tool as a as a helpful experience right and Mm -hmm. and I imagine that in some ways you also see people come with certain expectations then there might need to be a bit of softening around what the expectation Mm -hmm. is that what music can do
1: Oh, there's always that aha moment, you know, that realization. And for some people it's thinking, well, I need to be a musician. I need to be able to play something. And if I, if I don't have those skills, then this isn't for me. And that just isn't true. Music can actually be a really helpful resource to anyone, um, Mm -hmm. It can connect to, like using it for mindfulness, for finding inner calm, you know, using um, listening in this way, um, using your voice even. So I do a program called Singing Well, which is a bereavement support group. And in that program, the focus is on using your voice, but I've had people come to that group who don't sing. So they'll come to a singing group and be a part of the group because by listening it can be very meaningful for them
0: Mm -hmm. so by coming to the group and listening and just being present in the space with people singing they're benefiting from that healing from that vibration from that uh energy right that the the power of music is partly how it lands with us and even if you don't sing you can appreciate the the flow of it in that in that presence it's so nice
1: yeah. yeah. And there's a real responsibility on the part of the facilitator or the music therapist to make sure that it feels safe. Mm-hmm. So to, to give people permission not to sing or even to try, you know, to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and but because there's other voices you can hide within that and still feel safe trying. And some of the things that we do, even for people who feel like pretty comfortable with their voice, some of the things that we do can still feel intimidating because we use create like we use creativity in the moment. So we do vocal improvisations that are not structured. And to wrap your mind around that can be pretty complicated. So, we're not singing a song. We're not making music that you've heard before. We are improvising and creating new sounds with our voices together in the moment. And that can feel really exposing. And then it can also feel really liberating.
0: So, safety is such an important part of the music therapist's role in terms of giving people permission and holding space containing it sort of so that it's Mm -hmm. in, in this space, it's okay to try this, even though it feels strange or, or a little bit scary. Um, It can also be really powerful. You have permission to try it, or you have permission just to observe. So, so talk to me a little bit about what's the difference between working with an individual and working with a group? What are some of the things you notice in your experience?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So the individual experience is very much based around that one person. So really learning about what's happening with you right now. And can you tell me your story? Because we know when we're supporting people who are grieving, it is important to be able to tell that story. And I would say that that's also the same in a group context, but perhaps the stories aren't quite as in-depth that are shared. So, you know, having that space to talk about what happened when your loved one was dying and what that experience was like and what your life together was like and to describe it and then the experiences are very much customized when it's one-on-one so Mm -hmm. um, in a group there's a bit more of a plan of what's going to happen and everybody has expectations about how you know what we do during this time together whereas one-on-one it's very um more of a free open structure so We might be doing some songwriting, we might be doing some relaxation work, we might be doing some guided listening, we might be singing songs that are meaningful, like there's a number of different things that might happen one on one, we might be doing some drumming or playing, you know, that cathartic release, Mm -hmm. Um, really feeling and, and all of these experiences that I'm describing can also happen in a group, but in the group, it's more structured. It it does make sense to me because it sounds like when it's individual,
0: it's all about the person and their one story. And so it's making, it's making meaning with them and helping them make meaning for themselves and giving them a space and an outlet and some tools for that. And when you come together with a group, what you're doing is actually creating those same things, but in a shared way so that everybody has to make space for one another. In an individual Mm -hmm. session, you don't have to make space for anybody else, right? That's when you come for your own self. And the other piece about group um, work for me seems to be that the sharing is focused on not feeling alone
1: absolutely and I think I mean we know from the research that the gold standard really is for for grief support to be in a group because you are hearing others' stories and then also heard so you may learn about yourself and your own experience from from the others, and that happens in a the music therapy group as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that kind of reflecting back, and there's also, I mean, you know, this in your own grief work, but there really is an education component as well a learning about nothing when you're grieving feels normal, and in the group, what you're experiencing can almost be normalized because you see that other people are having maybe be different but some there's some overlap there there's some similar similarities with that feeling of of you know kind of a loss of identity because your identity might be so connected with the person who's no longer here so all of those things happen
0: mm-hmm. that that ability to come together to share your story and hear other stories um helps you have perspective and yeah. to, to connect with the similarities and know, and like you said, sort of normalize the experience that when you're all on your own with your grief, it's hard to do that. It's hard to know if what you're experiencing is normal.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. And so when people are thinking about the possibility that music therapy might help them, mm-hmm. what do you recommend that they that they look for in a music therapy program or a music therapist?
1: Um, Another really good question. So I think um, especially for grief support, you know, a music therapist who has had some experience working with other people who are grieving or, you know, parallel experiences in that way. And then, you know, knowing what is helpful to you. So knowing yourself finding a music therapist who might offer tools that are helpful for you so for me for example I usually offer songwriting as part of the support that I offer and this can be hard for people to know because that's that can sound intimidating right off the bat me saying that or some people will say you know well I don't write or no no I wouldn't do that and a music therapist is is skilled at making that accessible to you and, and explaining how how it can actually unfold. Sometimes when I'm making a song with someone, I'll describe to them, it's almost like a fire, like we light the spark and the song just happens. You have to be open to the spark. And then that unfolds. Uh, you're always looking for a really great listener. And I I would imagine that is a universal skill in a music therapist, but that's something, you know, let's say you're actually um, talking to a few different people. I would think that that is something that would be, you'd want to be looking for, for sure. And then, you know, um, gender might be a factor and also the music therapist, like what instruments they typically use and are proficient on. So, for example, I'm a vocalist and so I use song-based Um, and singing resources a lot in my work and you might be looking for somebody who plays the and I do play the guitar and I do play the piano, but I'm a vocalist. Mm-hmm. And so you may be looking for a music therapist who is a really highly trained pianist as well and you can focus on using the piano together. And most music therapists do have all of these skill sets. There isn't any one right fit, you know, and there mm-hmm. and music therapists do our skill sets, although there is a uh, entry-to-practice level of competency that everyone has. There are different skill sets that different people have. Hmm. And so it's
0: worthwhile sort of exploring who's available around you if you're looking for a music therapist and maybe checking out some websites about them to see what they offer and then maybe connecting for a conversation or a consultation and see how you feel. And it's often I recommend the same thing when people are looking for a social worker or any other kind of counselor or therapist. It's really important to know that if the person doesn't feel right to you, it doesn't mean that the therapy is not right for you. And so not to be afraid to look around for the person that feels like a good fit for you. And I imagine in music therapy, that's just what you're talking about. If you are interested in, in piano, then you're looking for someone who has pianist training, but also feels like a good fit when they're listening to you, feels like a good fit when they're responding to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And I think, I mean, I do think that it's so important for people to know that if the first person doesn't fit, it's okay to keep trying. There'll be someone that will. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like don't give up on the therapy.
0: Mm -hmm. So we know that music is really powerful. We know that a music therapist can help you access music in a way that is going to be safe and and therapeutic and and supported in doing so. What have been some experiences you've had with that? Uh, is there anything you want to share with us that is something, you know, like a non-identifying kind of generic story of your work or or a personal experience that you've had?
1: I have several people that I've worked with who are very happy for me to share their story. So I love to tell you about Allison, and, and I am using her real name because she has given me permission and Allison came to the hospice with her mom. Her mom was 57 when she died of ALS. And so I worked with the whole family when, when her mom was dying And after her mom died, she asked if she could come back to the hospice and have a coffee. And because I had been involved with the family through the funeral, we had stayed connected because I did sing at the funeral as well. And Allison gave a beautiful eulogy for her mother. I was so impressed with this young woman who was only 19 at the time. And so we had a coffee and talked and she talked about what her grief experiences were and um, some dreams she was having. And so I suggested that she do some journaling and think about coming back and having a session. And even that first time we met and it was just coffee, she asked me to play some of her mom's songs for her. And so we had another session and I played and she wrote So she took that time to just write out those dreams and write out the different images and things that she was having. And when we looked at her writing, I said, this would be really neat to shape it into a letter for your mom. And so what unfolded over the next year was that she wrote a song, which is called A Love Letter to Mom, And her boyfriend at the time was a guitar player. And so he actually came up with a really a riff that she really liked that became the foundation for the song. And we ended up um, actually also including a music director that I work with to help us with the recording. And so we laid down tracks and she had a full recording of the song that she created, um, Mm -hmm. which was a beautiful tribute to her mom. And on her mom's birthday that following year, she she actually made a video which she shared widely on YouTube with images of her and her mom throughout her life and accompanied by her love letter to Mom. You know, it's a slow unfolding and looking through, but the music was um, a way that she was able to heal. You know, to help her feel connected to mom, to help her work through who she is right now. And and the first line was, Dear mom, there are some things you need to know as the river of my life begins to flow. Because some questions that were coming up for her were, How can I turn 20 without my mom? Like, okay. how can I how can I have these next steps in life without my mom here? And how can I tell her and so this was a way for her to work that through.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And and so such a good example of how the process can both honor the past and the person who's died, as well as hold hope for the future.
1: Yeah. I see that, not to get academic, but the, the dual process model of grief plays out in every music therapy session because it holds a space of like you just said, both looking back and looking forward. Mm-hmm. And it also, this is something really neat. In the music therapy space, we hold this broad emotional space. So sometimes when people are grieving, they can feel guilty for feeling joy or laughter. And mm-hmm. in the group, it almost happens accidentally, <laughs> this permission to laugh this permission to feel a broader range of emotions than deep sadness and loss and especially in the groups with other having permission and other people realizing i can be sad and i can feel lost and i can laugh
0: Mm -hmm. both
1: of these things can happen in this space Mm -hmm. Or, or i can feel the joy that music raises inside of me or i can feel connected and whole
0: and then they have permission to take that experience and feeling out into their, their daily life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's
1: another great thing about music is that it is so transitional. So, okay, what can you be doing on your own day to day? Can we be making playlists, recordings, real tools? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So when you think about the 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 work that you do
0: and the many people that you've spent time with and the ways that music works for them and maybe doesn't sometimes work for them are there any mm-hmm. kind of any kind of cautions you would give people or maybe not caution is maybe a strong mm-hmm. word but kind of what would you like people to know about the possibilities of music that are positive and sometimes more difficult.
1: Yeah, so I, it's important to talk about this because as I'm talking about all of these ways that music can help, sometimes music doesn't help. So sometimes we have really unexpected, visceral responses to music that catch us off guard. Or today, this music might be helpful but tomorrow it might not be so an expectation that um that this is going to be continuous and stay the same isn't necessarily so so just knowing that some music might be a great help tool, resource and some days may actually be a trigger and it it's that awareness piece and because it connects to our limbic system or our emotional responses, that's why I'm saying it can catch you off guard, bypass that rational brain and go right into that emotional brain and really bring up some big feelings, connecting with memory and connecting with emotion, but it can also bring up some painful memories too.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's really that, that what we want people to think about is that in being self-aware, they notice whether it feels good or whether it doesn't feel so good on any given day. And that they also have a sense of permission, permission to go with music when it feels like it's working and to leave music for a little bit when it feels like it's not time for it.
1: Especially I'm thinking of, for example, this music at Christmas time, you know, for some people, especially Following a loss that can be difficult, you know, just to give a really specific example, and it's mm-hmm. okay to turn. It's okay to, turn it off, it's okay to say no, and to have that boundary.
0: Yeah, yeah, to be able to say I'm not going to listen to to that song right now this time. Um, it's you know that's that's uh, resonates a lot with me. Um, when I was uh, young, a friend of mine's mother passed away. And I had spent a fair bit of time with her, just being with her through some of her illness. And it was in December when they held the funeral and they played Silent Night. And I think it was a good few years before I could really listen to Silent Night again. And now it brings me those fond memories instead of mm. that initial raw pain that that I felt in, in one of those first losses outside my own family experience. So
1: really great example of how it can shift and change over time
0: mhm mhm and 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 how impactful it can be because that relationship was it was it was positive but it wasn't mm. a central relationship in my life either but still very powerful thank you it's been wonderful talking to you about music and music therapy and the ways that music therapists bring opportunity for healing and helping people supporting them in using music through grief.
1: And I mean, this is such a passion for me, so I really appreciate you highlighting this and sharing this with your audience. Thanks for having me, Maureen.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.